You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic, your go-to podcast for bragworthy branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co. Let's dive into the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I've got not one, but two guests today and coming all the way from Sweden, correct? Yes. Oh my goodness. Welcome to the podcast, Eric, and welcome, Freddie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We're all the way from Stockholm, Sweden. It's been a long flight, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're excited that technology like this exists, right? So we can have these conversations because I think that this is one of the best things that podcasting has done. And one of the best things really to come out of the last few years is just the connectivity and being able to have these conversations. So I thank you not only for your time, but for the opportunity to chit chat today. Likewise. Friday afternoon for you, Friday morning for me. But hey. We'll make it work. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Everything feels so easy right now. You know, it's like the week is over. We're almost opening a beer. We're going to be very positive about everything today. I think it's going to be a great episode. I think you guys are going to be in a great mood. This is so exciting. For anyone who doesn't know who you guys are, obviously you're Snask. Well, obvious to you guys and not obvious to everyone else yet. But kind of tell us what Snask is, who you are and what you do. And either one of you, take it away. Give us the background. We are Snask. We're from Stockholm, Sweden. We started out 17 years ago, a long time ago. People told us in the industry that you needed 10 years of experience when you start your own agency. And we felt like that's probably going to be white old dude's experience. And we felt like, why not just create our own agency and make all the mistakes ourselves and create Snask? And we chose pink. And so we chose the pink way of doing things, our way of doing things. And I think that's like 17 is down the line. We're still making mistakes. It's part of our process, actually. And yeah, we're proud of it. I love that. And you talked a lot about this on an episode I just listened to with Chris Doe, where you did an interview about the word snask and what it means. Eric, can you tell us the kind of the background of how you landed on that word? It has such a nice like mouth sound. I'm jealous. Yeah. It's, like, it's so complete, you know? Snask. It's like, it's sort of like, it's a very Swedish word. But it really works, especially in English. And yeah, it's, it's funny. But for us, it was more way back in the day than we thought that we would like not be in Stockholm and Sweden. We were like, the world is our playground. You know, we're going to be in London or at least New York or I know, like something. And then I think it was not like one of those people are always like, oh, you must have this crazy story behind why this name came up. But like, I think it was just like trying to you know, list all the fun names or good names we could come up with. And then this one stood out and it meant, I mean, snask means candy in Swedish. It's like a sort of gossipy, like it has more, you know, when snask, candy, sweet, it can become like a gossip. It can become filth. Like indulgent in a way, right? Yeah, like a gossip magazine or you can even start like, oh, that's snasky. Or, you know, so it had all that meaning. But for us, it was like a connection to design, which was like, oh, we're going to do eye candy. We're named Snask. But then also we thought that no one would know what it meant. You know, we were like, oh, we're going to be in New York. So it's just like a fun Swedish touch to it. And then we moved back to Stockholm instead. And suddenly everyone was like, Snask? Is that <laughs> your name? Why? You know, we had clients back then that didn't want to work with us because we were named Snask. But it's funny because it kind of translates. We have like 
US customers who are like, Snask, you know, it sounds very tasty, but also a little bit disgusting, sorry for saying. We're like, well, that's actually accurate. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, you guys kind of have a tagline of like, make enemies, like win friends. And I think that's the same energy as the tagline I've been using for my business, which is bragworthy brands. And for me, bragworthy, like to brag about something is seen as like, it's not reflected well in American culture, like to be braggadocious or to brag on yourself, like it's kind of turned down. But when you work hard on your business and you work hard on a project, like you want to brag about it, like you want people to know about it. It's kind of that same energy of like not being afraid of being like unapologetically yourself or ruffling feathers. But talk about the make enemies idea, because I really love this idea. So, I mean, that is for us, our view on branding is also the name of our book. We release it in two editions and it's probably hopefully coming out in a year, a third edition. We'll see. Yay! But it's our view on branding, basically. And it means that if you are a company, you need to have values. And if you have values, you need to sign up for them. And if you sign up for your values in 2023, you will for sure get enemies. But you will also get fans. You will get the enemies that you don't want as fans anyway. And the fans that you get are people who don't just scroll past your post. They like, they comment, they tag their friends, they share, etc. It's called engagement and it's something that companies pay a lot of money for. But it's basically, as a company, you just need to just stand up for something. And it, you can't stand up for profit. But standing up for a question that you burn for, that is like, this is important for us. That's basically it. And it's that simple. We don't want people to go out and just make enemies just for the hell of it, but just stand up for what you believe in, who you are, the right to be whoever you are, and all of that. And you should be fine. And alternatively, I'm sure we've all worked with clients that have said that their ideal customer is everyone. And you're like, ah, like that's not really going to help you in the long run. It's always such an interesting conversation because that tells me that we've got a lot more to talk about with marketing when that client comes through, right? Probably like 1%. If you have 1% of the earth population as your market, you are a very successful company. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. You guys have a super impressive client roster. I was kind of cruising through the portfolio page and some of your socials. Eric, what are some of your favorite projects you've worked on in the last 17 years or things that stand out as we didn't know how this was going to go. And then it turned out better than we expected. Like, could tell us a few stories of just some favorite case studies. Yeah, like I said, 17 years, it's been a few. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we have, it depends on like, we have the client projects that there are a few that we are like, of course, that we thought were fun or interesting from different reasons. And then we have our more like self-initiated projects that might mean something else for us, you know, but I know, for example, we get to do a lot of like visual interesting stuff for Klarna. It's not like the brand of Klarna. It's not the why we would mention them. It's more like the freedom of the type of work we got to do with exploring film and photography and in like visual worlds and making them interesting to watch and like have that like magical ingredient and unexpected element in them. And basically they were like, really appreciating like high level and design and all of that that one is good we have we did a campaign for monkey some years ago that was like all about empowering female rights and like bringing up those type of questions in the like the later in the light of like commercial campaign and like really pushing that out 
that was something that was super interesting because then you really need you go and dig into something that you care for and a message that you really stand behind so then that gives you something else and yeah i mean they're like all of these projects is like something that we also get to visually dig into if we can like get the time to craft and really like give it that extra effort of style and design behind it then we enjoy ourselves so to say yeah of course it's when it's that perfect storm of we got to be creative we got to challenge ourselves we got to push the envelope and we just really enjoyed the client and what we were able to accomplish like that's the dream right Freddie, can you think of any that stand out yeah i mean one is malmo festival 2014 where we was our fifth year with this one of the biggest city festivals culture festivals in northern europe and we had a lot of trust after working with them for four years already and we told them like hey for next year it's your 30th anniversary we want to make a poster that is 13 meters long nine meters wide build it up by hand and then we photograph it like 30 minutes up in the air and then when the actual festival take place we put it out as a festival area where people can climb around and for some reason they just said yes and we created this amazing thing it's just this so fulfilling feeling as a designer to see it for real just uh, that that one was interesting from the part that like we thought it was we need to let's say argue about the commercial reasons behind like oh this will give you this and that you know like trying to persuade them into saying yes to this but in the end they were like remove all of that practical stuff that are connected to this idea and just make art. And we were like, what? <laughs> we can just do that, you know? Like, So it's kind of like, that was also very interesting because they were like a culture festival and they had, of course, that perspective as well, which was very unusual and very fun. Yeah, I think our team has, has just done something similar with the tennis tournament that was here in town. So we did San Diego Open Last year, we just wrapped it up on Saturday, so it's very fresh on my mind. But I think that it was one of the things that the first year I signed on, I had no idea that how big it was. Like, I like sports kind of on the background, but I'm not really like actively turning on sports channels. So it was funny because it was a connection through a friend who said, hey, I know this guy, he's putting on this tournament. Can you help with some branding assets and some social media? And I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, sounds fun not realizing that how many people it was going to be. It's a 500 event, but it's international tennis that's coming through San Diego. And then the approach this year, now that I had a better understanding of the context, like to really go for it with how does this brand actually function in the three-dimensional space? That's not just a logo. It's not just a website. It's not just social, but it's creating art, like creating that activation and connecting the mission of the event and the company with the experience of being there. And I think a lot of your guys' work is very experiential based. Like it's very about the tactile and imaginative and world building. How do you describe what you do to potential clients? Because I think it's a lot of categories, right? Like even on your website, you've got graphic design, creative direction, photo and video, brand strategy. Like that's a lot of stuff. (laughs) You hear it's hard to describe. (laughs) It's like, no, but we are very different in that sense. I think because we also try to, we're not like saying, hey, we're a full service agency and we can really just do whatever you want. We're still like trying to have a very strict style and approach direction in what we do. But then since we think it's fun to, if we work on the strategy part with someone to like finding that whole foundation, what the brand is about, 
and then moving into translating that into visual form. And then they're going to do and do photos and films. We want to make sure that that still is where we wanted it to be and that the level is there and the attitude is there. And then we always found it more interesting and easy to do that ourselves. And then 17 years again, it's not like you can't just like do it like this. We have picked up a lot of experience on the way and you know how to do that. But we often talk about visual worlds instead of a specific asset to you like that. It's a lot about like branding. People love to put things into boxes, right? And then it can become a lot about oh theoretical strategy and like that type of that's the brand strategy. It's just like doing this like graphs and you know, line items. Yeah. Exactly. But for us it's just a much about like making that feeling of that come through in a visual image and the best word we have for it now is like building visual worlds for clients that have these values. Yeah, Freddie, do you think that this visual world building has always been a part of advertising or do you think it's heightened now because of how many touch points customers have with brands? Because if we think about social media and web and product and then events, do you think that this has been something that's always existed or has it morphed with tech? Yeah. I think more than it's morphed, I think that if someone made this 25 years ago, it would almost be the same thing, right? But today you can use them everywhere and you start realizing, wait a minute, this film, we should make it this way. And when the set is done, let's not take tear it down, but let's bring in a photographer and let's also make an animation to use it more. But I think that actually the process is kind of the same. It's just that the way we see it from the beginning and plan it in production is different now. And it's interesting and it's good. I think that clients get more use of things. While as before, they maybe just got a 30-second film and that was it. And then it's like, oh, fuck, no one liked it. (laughs) Uh, Instead of like training a lot, you know, and yeah. Right. Kind of walk us through the process. I know that Eric just kind of talked about it briefly of like understand the client, understand their goals, and then, you know, figure out what the deliverables are from there. But Walk us through if you've got a dream client that fills out your contact form tomorrow and they're like, we want to work with Snask. What can you do for us? Like, how do you approach that project and start to get the creative ball rolling in the brainstorm? And then just because I'm so curious what it's like to be a fly on the wall in your team brainstorm sessions, because I can only imagine how wacky and weird some of the ideas are. Tell us what that experience is like as well, if you can. Yeah, it's like... Since we talked about that we do all these different steps, basically, it's all about like the perfect client for us is the one that comes and they are like, let's build a brand together. Let's really do that proper time consuming, but also like interesting process, finding out why we do this and where we want to go. And then it can be like, we start with a lot of like workshops and stuff like that, where we try to challenge them a lot to make them it's often like, you know, you can almost do this type of stuff that they're like, oh, we have this perfect ideas, this and this. And then we're like, oh, but what if Google started the same thing tomorrow with like the newest, coolest female entrepreneurs and they have like the backing of billions, you know, they're like, oh my God, they're down the, you know, it's like these type of things to try to push it further and further. And then when we start like aligning on them and getting that down, that's when we start moving into the visual aspects. And again, that's when we translate these things. So we keep that together and they giving us our 
freedom as professionals to handle that and like trust us and stuff like that. And I think like when it comes to a creative process, I mean, in one way, we're not like any crazy wizards that know how to do. I mean, everyone have their own process. This one is like works for us. Or I think in our team too, it's like individually people like to do different things. But then we, I think in the beginning, when we do this process, we often talk about more like we almost briefing ourselves, right? So it's a lot about like we shouldn't do this or they don't want us to do that or we like this competitor does that and we talk about all these like more boring things and it's like sort of put up a framework but then it's super important to just leave that behind for a while you know and if you have time because that's what you need then you can okay we know this is the framework we can always go back to that in the end or like during the process but now we can leave it and have three weeks of just coming up with weird stuff you know nothing is wrong so to say and then you know from that often things start popping up and then you start mixing it together and you know sometimes we're at home and going to bed when we come up with a good idea sometimes it's when we sit talk you know it's like this like ongoing thing and then often you start like putting the pieces together you go back to that framework and then after a while you start landing in something good often i think that's a super valid point because i think With the way that social media is, there's a perception that these agencies are just cranking out best idea, best idea, best idea, best idea all the time. And it's easy to think that, right? It's easy to think when you're seeing someone's portfolio or you're you're finding them on social that they just a banger after banger after banger. But what I have to remind people is like, there's an entire graveyard of terrible ideas and things that never saw the light of day Mm -hmm. and things I never want to put my name on because I'm not proud of how it turned out or... It didn't go as I envisioned. How do you kind of talk through? It's that imposter syndrome that creeps up that kind of says like, yeah, like you may see the top 20% of what we do, but there's 80% that's not even at that level at all. So Freddie, how do you guys work through that? What's on kind of the cutting room floor or the ideas that are just like crumpled into the wastebasket? Because that has to be part of the process, right? It is, of course, and it's a part of failing and allowing yourself to fail. And I think the best way to allow yourself to fail is giving yourself time so that you don't put the timeline to cramped so that you actually like, we will go wrong. It's not about if, it's when we go wrong. And that's fine, but that's how we can reach the best way. And we will eat mushrooms together. No, sorry. That's another creative... Hey, I'm in California. That's fine. That's very good. It's very everywhere here. Yeah. <laughs> it's trendy now. Mm-hmm. No, but I think it's important in any creative process as well to realize, at least with clients, to make them like, what are we moving away from? And separate that from what are we going towards? It's like if you rescue some a friend in a bad relationship, like, yes, let's move away from this. But that's one thing. But then you have to make them ready and like, let's now move to this. And that can be a big thing for them because if you're stuck with just trying to get away from something bad, then anything you say might sound good to the client. But then two to three presentations down the line, it backfires because they weren't ready. So you have to like from step one, make them realize, wait a minute, don't look at this just moving away from the old. Look at this as this is where we're going to. And then they can look at it with fresh eyes and be like, okay, cool. And then you have to remind themselves that. And this is the imposter syndrome with the client as well, because they have it as well. And we have it as well. 
we all have it. So we just have to be open and like vulnerable with each other and transparent and be like having a dialogue is the best thing because no one is experts. We just know some stuff about how we work. They know much more about how they work. And let's just try and create magic together. That's really interesting too from the creative work because like point of view in turn, having a goal, like we often, of course, look at references and like, you know, we have our boards of where we sort of seeing that we want to go with this, you know, and then we maybe not end up there or whatever, but like that is also important, I think, from like a style point of view that we are always trying to see everything we do in like a visual output because mm-hmm. like it's very easy to just come up with cool ideas in one way if you don't need to be responsible for the end result but if it's gonna be like visually stunning or interesting and like then an idea can just be about that it can be you know mixing different visual elements into something interesting that it's actually like doesn't make sense in otherwise you can't do it in reality or something but like for a, as in a photo and short video, it's super interesting because it makes you think different. It's also about that maybe to have a clear vision as an agency or what you do. It like, where do we want to be? What are we aiming for to create and not just like have a complete blank page? Right. It has to be that symbiotic relationship between we are the creatives that you hired to help realize your vision versus the client that's like, I want to come in and tell you what to do. I find that that dynamic oscillates a lot. Like it starts one way and maybe flips to the other and vice versa. But what you're looking for is that perfect balance of, and we said it earlier in the episode of like trust and freedom on the creative side, that the client is willing to put in the time and the funds to really trust. And that's a hard dynamic to nail down. And I feel like it takes a lot of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, right? Like you have some clients that you're like, okay, they were too soft. This one was too hard. This one's just right. And once you find the one that's just right, I think it's so confirming and affirming that you're doing the right thing. And you're like, okay, actually, no, maybe we do know what we're talking about. And I have this with my team all the time where it's like, wow, we really crushed that. That felt good. I want to do that again, right? And that's the kind of jet fuel. You guys are nodding your heads. I'm assuming that this has happened on your side as well, yeah? For sure. It happens all the time. And I think it's human, but sometimes we find ways to tackle it, which is interesting. Like we had like a client where we did a big production and they sent this one person from the client and this person had to approve everything that we did, of course. And it was maybe 60 people on the set. And we quickly realized that this person will feel like I'm not doing my job if I don't change anything. And when you come to production, nothing should be changed. It should just be like, no, now everything should be. It's already been decided before so we should use you know i mean like sort of yeah yeah it's already been designed so we just started to fuck things up in the end we were like okay this is a perfect image we have everything let's get it approved but first take the bottle and put it down and then we call the client in and the client would be like oh it looks good but maybe the bottle should be laying down because it looks like the liquid is coming out maybe we should just oh we were like okay like stood up you mean yeah yeah we're like oh take another photo wow, okay, this looks better, actually. And then the client would be like, yeah, it's approved. And then we realized, like, if we cater to the client's needs here, and the needs are not the perfect image, the needs are, can I actually do my job here? Yes. That's such a good point, because it's such a psychological, sociological experiment, too. It's not even that the idea is always 
100% locked in stone, but sometimes the client just wants to be heard. Like they just want to feel like their input is having an impact because they don't want to just keep signing a check. And I mean, the best clients are the ones that sign the check and say, we trust you, go for it. And like, they're totally hands off, right? And you're like, great, this is amazing. But I think a lot of times, especially with the clients that are opinionated, and I say this all the time, is I need the decision makers in the room in the first meeting. Because I can't get down to step number six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10, to then have someone that has to have a decision made that wasn't part of the original conversation. Because something that they're saying at step seven, eight, nine, either we've already covered or is going to change the course. It's going to have a domino effect on how everything else gets executed. It's such a conundrum. And I think with creatives too, there's this misconception that, oh, you just make stuff all like my friends that don't work in creative fields that are like lawyers and teachers. They're like, oh, you just like get to make stuff all day. But it's like, there's so much people work that goes into having an agency and understanding clients and getting aligned on timelines and deliverables and goals. And man, it's exhausting. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we just sit and talk most days. We just talk with people, (laughs) explaining or literally trying to. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really like that. Yeah, no, it's such a good point. And it's like, but it's so important what you guys are saying about like everyone's human too. It's like, that's the thing. It's like it becomes so cold sometimes. It's like the client and the, you know, producer there and the director, you know, whatever. It's like we can all like hang out. Sometimes when we are not, in control of the you know when we are also like a piece like someone else is deciding who gets to talk to who and we're not allowed to speak to the client sometimes and we're like we just had the chance to talk to them this wouldn't like be an issue you know this literally happened to me this week i had a dream client come through they had a contract then they said i'm gonna send the contract to my agent agent redlines the entire contract and i was like okay I've already had a conversation with this client. We see eye to eye. We're on the same page. I'm not going to try to screw you on purpose. We're human, right? Like, man. And so now it's completely derailed the whole potential of the project because there's now, and I understand why it exists, of course, and you want to be legally protected, but it does kind of take the air out of your tires when you're like, dang, we were so connected and seeing eye to eye. And now it's like, oh, nuts. Yeah. Also, I think the quality can become slow. It's like, watching a movie like let's watch lord of the rings and you watch it and it's three hours long and after one hour someone pauses like wait a minute we just need to circle back to steven i'm gonna I need to anchor this in the, and so yeah but steven hasn't watched the movie yeah but it's about two short guys and then it's a ring whatever and this white wizard we're like yeah okay and then steven is gonna be like no that's shitty <sighs> but he didn't even watch he didn't even see the shire it's amazing it's just, it doesn't make any sense that someone should come in, in the middle and like, yeah. Same problem with like pitching. Yeah. I mean, it's like that we, instead of working together, we put our effort into trying to win a pitch and winning a pitch doesn't maybe mean the same as being like doing the best for the client or even, you know, because it's just, they want something that we can like, okay, we can do that. And then we will get the approval to, you want this. We want pitches where we haven't been able to like deliver the end result because they just like we want it because they sort of had put up a, like if you do this and this you will win and then we did this and this and then it was like but we couldn't deliver anything in the end because it had nothing to do with what we were doing like why did it even come to us right you know and in the end it was just like this big mistake the whole thing we were like why did you even want 
else to do this. Totally. You know, and it's like no conversation just becomes this like, this is how you do it type of like, this is the incentive. Well, it's both disappointing and comforting to know that everyone's dealing with these issues. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It will always be like that. It's an international creative problem. <laughs> you know, like it is something to be said about the fact that... 17 years of this shit. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting. But it's also when you do have that one that squeaks through, that goes even better than you planned. You're like, okay, it's worth it. It's like very, like you said, like bad relationship. You're like, wait, but we had so much fun that one time we went on vacation. <laughs> it's like, exactly. so funny. Imagine if pitching was how to find your new partner. Right. It would be like, yeah, but before we have the date, can I know like what preference you have? No, I can't tell you. Yeah, okay, but do you want to live in a big city or not? I can't tell you that either. Uh, okay. Surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> surprise me, and I'll choose whoever's going to be best for me. Yeah, but no, everyone's just going to tell you what you want to hear. And it's not going to be real, and it's not going to be good. It's the same thing. Everything can be connected to relationships. Yeah, it really can. And I think that that's where your guys is like the vulnerability, empathy, and like understanding the humanness of these interactions. I think it's such a good reminder and such a good place to kind of find yourself because that's what it shakes out to at the end of the day. Like it's just creating those relationships, coming from a place of empathy, coming from vulnerability, encouraging creative ideas and and all of those like warm, fuzzy themes that we love. Right. But there is also a side of this to design agency side, which is a lot about tech tools, different trends that are happening, not happening. I think the video that I just saw on your guys' social that stuck out to me that I just want to ask, cause I'm so curious is the Klarna ad with the really, really long hair on the horse and they're playing. Just walk through that from like a tech creative tools side. Does that, how does something like that even get made? Because my mind is blown. That's funny. <laughs> I'm like, that. this is a great question. The hair was very hard to collect right there. I was going to say. Yeah, it was where it took a lot of time, a lot of horses. Yeah. <laughs> Had to die to make <laughs> Tragically, yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny that I just want to also tell how that idea came to be. Please. It was that like, because since we talked a little bit about that, it was like we were discussing different things that were nice, have the, you know, is about this like smooth movement and nice, you know, and then we were like, oh, we came into like classic music and instruments of that. And then we realized that the strings, like in a violin, are made by horse hair. And then that was like, oh, we started to talk about that. Oh, it's horse hair. It's kind of into. And then suddenly, you know, they were connected. Like horse hair is like where you flow in the wind and nice and classical music together. Oh, maybe they can play the horse. Hair. You know, that's how connection happens. But then, for that, that is a proper film production. We had to dig into that. How can we do that? We always try to do as much as we can in camera. So we have a real horse. We have a real orchestra. We have an opera house that we are in. We're shooting everything. But then we have a fake sort of hair that is, is there, but it's not the hair in the video. Sort of. they have like, it's almost like a little sculpture that they are sitting, playing on in the actual footage. And then... In post-production, we built like a 3D hair and sort of that thing was replaced by it. You know, so that's how the 
end result is like together with a post-production company that we collaborated with to like do that. And then your mom calls you in the end of production. What are you working with, son? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, for one week, I've been doing this, mom. And it doesn't help her, no. Yeah, <laughs> I love those too. Because you're just like, oh yeah, today I did this crazy, ridiculous thing that I never thought I was going to do, but here we are. I think that that things like that totally stick out. You say you've got a lot of outside partners that you collaborate with. From like a tech tools trends side, AI is obviously a really hot topic. I've been loving MidJourney. I don't know if you guys are into that whole rabbit hole yet, but also like the democratization of those tools, I think is something that's really going to change the marketing landscape in the next few years, if not the next like two months. It's happening so fast. Where do you guys get excited? Like what different realms of tech and marketing and branding? What are the things that are getting your team fired up and excited for, you know, making things faster or better or easier or just more interesting as we kind of look into 2024 and beyond? Anything that sticks out? I mean, I think for sure, AI, I mean, ChatGPT is very super interesting because it speeds up a lot of processes. Of course, you can't just put anything in and copy paste because you start to now see them everywhere. You can really realize when people were lazy. But it's also, I think for us, it's all about also about inclusion, diversity, uh, misogyny, that it's very sexistic. It's very like, and it's because... It's no strange. The tech world it consists of 72% men. And out of those 72% men, 60% are white, 20% are Asian. So it's basically white Asian dudes that are nerdy that are doing these things. And it's not them who has it because it's a reflection. But AI is always a reflection of the data we put in, we send in to the prompts and everything. If we put in like creative director, it will be a white man with glasses, not a woman, not a color. It's just that's how it is, and I think that's important to bring with us all the time. But, I mean, AI can be phenomenal. You just need to see it as a tool, not see it as like, oh, I don't have to work now. I can just do this automatically. Then it will be a no, you will fall behind because people will eventually use it like you do, but then do something even greater because of it. And I think just seeing AI as a great tool is the right way to go about it. But then, of course, also, I think, seeing the dangers with it and trying to think about it, like, how can I put in better prompts so it's not sexistic or not this or not that? I think that's, yeah, we need the responsibility. It's not easy because it's kind of shared. Yeah, absolutely. And it will definitely be that collaboration. I think from our point of view, I mean, we always used all technology as a tool. So like the computer is also used a tool for us. We always like took things, the design out in reality, cut out letters in different materials, took photos of that, brought it back in. You know, like that's been a part of our way of doing things. So AI sort of just get another one to use in one way. I also think sometimes that like when we talk about new technology and stuff, it's a little bit like we need to ask our questions to ourselves like is it solving a problem and there are many of these things that i don't think it doesn't solve any problem because we already knew how to do all of this stuff it's just that it does it way faster and like i say it's a democratization thing going on with that more people can maybe then do more visual things and that makes it interesting and all of that but it's also like when we do professional work that we are here to deliver a unique thing at a certain quality and et cetera, et cetera. 
I mean, seriously, like, do we use Mid Journey today? And or like, no, not really. We try it maybe sometimes. We go in and we do some little like visual. Have I really used it? No, maybe it gives me. It's like a little try something, but like hasn't changed anything. I don't know. Like really, for me, Chat GPT maybe more. Yeah, I think they're both interesting. They're both tools, and I think your point, Freddie, about it depends on the quality of the input. That still is a thing for creatives in general. If you're only exposing yourself to white straight men design, you're only ever going to have that as your inspiration or your input. So you got to get yourself out there and go see other cultures and go to art museums and talk to different types of people. And you have to expand your input as a human being to be able to pull these totally seemingly unrelated ideas together. So it's very much the same. I think that MidJourney and ChatGPT are interesting, but I think you guys are right. And I am very much like a technology optimist and I'm like, this is amazing. And like very like full into it. But then you start to realize like, okay, if I can write a blog post in 30 seconds, it's not what am I now going to do with the time I got back? But now it's going to be this expectation that you have even more productivity in the time. And you're like, okay, well then what was the point? Because now we're getting lost in the sauce a little bit because it's not that, oh, everyone's going to get this four-hour work week magically. It's like, this is going to come at the cost of someone else. Someone who was expected to write one really good blog post in the same amount of time is going to be expected to write 40 blog posts. And there's the quality per the quantity. That's going to be an inverse relationship, right? So it's interesting. It's definitely a tool for people that are scared about it. I keep saying like calculators didn't put accountants out of business. It's a tool, right? Like I don't want to pay my accountant to do like long division written down. Use the calculator. It's fine. I just read 10 minutes before we jump on this podcast now with you. It's like I just read an article about a gaming company who had fired 20 people here in Sweden to replace them with AI. Wow. And that was from a visual. They were like creating visual worlds sort of in the game and other graphics and stuff. But the funny thing is no one really knows if the AI is there to actually replace them. So it was like a bit like... Can they really do this yet? Like everyone's like, how are they going to do this? We don't understand it yet, but you know, let's see. But I mean, these things are happening sort of as we speak. I think another thing that is important is that AI and algorithms ask you what you want in your journey. It take a chance like this is maybe what you want to see and it's all connected. So when enough people say no to something, it won't show that again. Less and less and less and less. And that's how algorithm works. And it becomes a negative spiral, like an echo chamber, where nothing new is ever allowed to be exist unless people instantly like them. Nothing that is provocative is allowed to exist unless people instantly like them. And this is not how great ideas, music, art, books, etc. got created. It got created because like Freddie Mercury wrote a song that was six minutes long with three different genres. And radio told them Bohemian Rhapsody is going to be the worst song ever. No one is going to know about it. And now it's like the best ever. And it's like that didn't come from listening to algorithms. Or catering to what people want, right? It comes from, I I need to make this because this is the thing that needs to get made. Yeah, it comes from me and I need to get it out. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. So fascinating. Such a good conversation, you guys. This has been great with two guests. Yeah, super nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I always love to ask our guests this question, which is, what's something that you think you guys do particularly well, and what's something that you would like to do better? You can both answer the question, or you can each take one part of the question. I'll take any combination. I think Freddie should be better. Uh, no, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what we do good, I think that we try and do things differently. It doesn't mean that we necessarily are better than anyone else. It's just that when we do some work, we try and do something different. And I think at least for us, for our process, it makes it better for us. So I think that's a good thing. And maybe a bad thing could you go, Eric? Oh, no. Yeah, sorry. I thought I didn't know if you had a bad one, but I know something that we're not that good at. And it, no, but it's actually, we're not good at celebrating the work we do. No, that's true. We're super bad at that. Okay. You know, so we like just on to the next thing. We never like, oh, that was actually, or you just have a share. So like great work. Everywhere. You know, it's like, that's something that we could definitely be better at. Should we make a promise here with Michelle as a witness, Eric, that from now on we'll celebrate when we're done a new project? Uh-huh. Cheers to that. Great. You heard it, Michelle. Cheers to that. I heard it. Many more projects. We're going to take in like so many projects now so we can like celebrate all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm here as a witness. The th- I very much am the same, right? It's always easy to kind of harp on the things that didn't go well or like let it sit weigh on you or sit on you. But we kind of have the same thing with my team and we're coming up to like a really big kind of end of a chapter with a bunch of projects. But we're going to have a virtual, my whole team's virtual. So we're going to have a virtual pizza party and just cheers to ourselves and pat ourselves on the back and say, we really did give that a very solid, good work, right? Like the work is good and the work will remain and we can feel so proud of what we accomplished. You know, that's something that it's an easy thing to forget to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's so easy to forget it. And it is a journey and it's interesting. And, you know, it's like, it doesn't even matter sometimes what the end result is. You know, we, Feel like can you celebrate to being on the journey so you're also in the pact now michelle you're in the pact the celebration pact <laughs> i'm in the pact to celebrate more i like this this is a good idea well where can everyone find you guys follow connect work with snask like plug yourself at the end and let us know where the people can can get more of what you got i think it's just uh, snask if you search on snask anywhere you will find us and yes contact us we would love to hear from you on Skånegatan 61 in Stockholm. Perfect. Just show up, knock on the door, bring beer, yeah. get ready to celebrate. Yep. Yeah. And bring your craziest ideas. That's it. Exactly. Amazing. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, guys, and for connecting across different time zones. I really appreciate it. I think this was an awesome episode. Yes. Thank you. It was amazing. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to follow along and leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you in the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group for years and years of behind the scenes content and over 5,000 connections with fellow creatives. For show notes from today's episode, please visit mkwcreative.co slash podcast. This episode was edited by Berta Wired and theme music comes from Eliza Vera and Nathan Menard. Catch you next time. Catch you next time.